You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good. How many had a good week? Anybody have a great week? Two hands. Yeah, yeah. Any of you had a week like this? All right, all right. Well, this is a great place to be no matter what kind of week that you had, and we're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Lance. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Calvary, and this month we've been in a series called Holy Roar, and we've been exploring the power of worship in our everyday lives and the tool that it can become as we begin to really understand it and overcoming life's obstacles. And we've talked about having the right posture when it comes to worship. And if we have the right posture, it will enable us to begin to pray bold prayers and be courageous in our worship. And if you've missed any of the messages this month, I do want to encourage you. You can get them online on Facebook. You can get them through a podcast. Uh, But it really just helps keep you in the loop of what's happening. I think that's really, really important. Well, today... As we close the series, we want to talk about living a life of worship. What does it mean in our everyday life to live a life of worship? What does that look like? When we say live a life of worship, what does that mean to us? Well, about a month ago, (coughs) excuse me, about a month ago, we were having a family dinner And my oldest daughter, Alex, was running late for dinner uh, because of work, and we had all kind of finished up with dinner for uh, the evening, and when she ran in, I was still sitting at the table, and she threw some, I think, some meat on her plate, and she threw some vegetables on her plate, and she just started mowing, you know, and um, she just ate it really fast. It was like one of those moments where you're like, did you chew, right? Did you just even stop to enjoy it at all? So she had gotten through that, and then she reached her plate out to me, and she said, can you put some rice on my plate? And then, in typical fashion, she said, can you put it right here? Without even looking at the plate, I knew what right here meant. Right here meant where nothing else had touched the plate yet. Where no contamination had already occurred. See, as long as I could remember with my daughter, her food is not allowed to touch. Can I get an amen? Right? Like food on the plate has a space where it alone goes. And I've told her as she's been growing up, don't you know that it all touches eventually? Right? Like common sense will tell you that it may not touch there, but it touches eventually. And you know what? I know she's not the only one who likes to eat her food like this. And it's not just because you giggled a couple of minutes ago when I said, do you know someone like that? You know how I know that people are like this? This. (laughs) This right here is how I know 
that there are a lot of people, like the paper manufacturers of paper plates didn't sit back at their executive table one night and think, you know what? We just need to get creative and come up with a different kind of plate. No, they created these plates for the picky people. They created them for the people who had to keep their food separate, where nothing could touch. See how symmetrical and beautiful these plates are? Three triangles for three squares, right? My meat goes here. My starch goes here, my veggie goes here, and neither the twain shall they ever meet. It's a beautiful thing. This plate. You know what's so awesome about this message is I had to buy a whole pack of these for this illustration. (laughs) So now I have my first Christmas present for my daughter crossed off of my list. It's awesome. It's amazing. And you're probably wondering what in the world this has to do with a sermon. But when I was thinking about a life of worship, I thought that that illustration and this plate really in in some way summarizes how we look at or view worship. And what I mean by that is I think we have a tendency, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, to compartmentalize our worship. And what I mean by that is when we think about worship and what it means to worship, I think we think about songs, right? And we kind of put worship in a songs compartment, Or when we think about worship, we put worship in a service compartment. I go to church and I go to service and a part of the service is worship. And I think when we really think about worship, that there's a great temptation. And again, I think sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it might not be intentional. To kind of compartmentalize. Yeah, worship. I like to worship. I like listening to songs. And we'll talk about our favorite group. Maybe it's Hillsong or Bethel, and that's my worship. Or we'll talk about what time the service begins, and that's my worship. And and the truth of it is, is a lot of times I think we associate worship with music, singing, a gathering, And I think because we think of it this way, we create create a compartment in our life for it. And again, what I mean by that is this is when, this is where, and this is how I worship. Worship becomes a piece of our life, a compartment of our life. Again, songs. Services, 
And then sometimes when life is really bad and suffering, we pour our hearts out a little bit more to God, but we're very compartmentalized when it comes to our worship. The problem with this view of worship, other than the fact that I believe it can leave us very spiritually dry and empty. Like, I think if our worship just happens when the song is there or the service is there, I think it's very easy for us to become spiritually dry and empty and begin to feel like God is incredibly far away. But beyond the problem of that, compartmentalized worship, it's just not biblical. Like as we search the scriptures old and new, God's heart about worship was not a heart where it would just be something we did when we went to a certain place uh, or we listened to a certain thing. Listen, God's heart for worship in the scriptures is that it would be a powerful part of our everyday lives. He does want us to sing. He does want us to gather like we have this morning. And doing that more often wouldn't hurt in building a life of worship. But if I'm being honest with you, I don't think more of that is necessarily the path to a life of worship. You see, when the New Testament was written, there was many different authors. Three of the main authors, of course, we know was Jesus, right? He had a lot to say to us in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say to us. And John had a lot to say to us. And they used a word and 65 times over the course of 54 verses in the New Testament for worship. It's the most used word in the New Testament for worship. It's a Greek word, proskuneo, proskuneo. The very first occurrence of this word was actually when the wise men came to visit Jesus. And they said, where has the one that's been born of the king of the Jews? Where is he? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Well, that word, Proskuneo 65 times in the New Testament. You know what it means? It means to fawn or crouch. It means literally to prostrate themselves. Last week when Nick was preaching and I was sitting in the middle section, he got up and down a lot of times. Did you kind of notice that? And I was like, man, he's young and limber, right? right? But, but, but like this word, this is where the Asian culture especially because it came from the Persians. This is where they got their cultural greeting of what? Bowing. And if you actually trace this word back, it literally meant this, to fall on your knees on the ground, bend your head forward, and place it on the ground. Nick, where's Nick? Can you help me out? <laughs> I got about 10 years on him, so. But it was this deep posture of reverence. Like when we see the word worship, 
in the New Testament. Yes, it's tied to songs, and yes, it's tied to gatherings where God's people got together and they sang. But worship at its core and worship at its heart is a posture. It's a reverencing. It's a bowing. And if you read Matthew chapter 2, beyond the verse that we just read, if you go down to verse 12, I believe it is, guess what the, the wise men did when they found Jesus? What was the first thing they did? They bowed down. They reverenced him. And it says they worshiped him. And we see a great picture of this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, the 24 elders, and there's not too many people who get called out specifically in the, in the book of Revelation for places of honor. Like if you read it, there's not a lot. But here's these 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4 verse 10. And listen to what it says. The 24 elders fell down before him, Jesus, who sits on the throne and worship proskuneo. Him who lives forever and ever. And then listen to the next sentence. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they are created and have being. And as we look at this picture unfold, what's a crown? What's a trophy? It's the visual proof of an accomplishment, right? Like these 24 elders that are called out to, for all of us to know when they sit before Jesus, what do they do? They take all of their accomplishments, all of who they are, And they lift it off their head. And they lay it at the feet of Jesus. You see, worship at its core is so much more than songs and singing. It's about a heart. You see, true worship isn't singing, although it can involve singing. True worship is surrender. True worship is reverential surrender. It's prostrating and bowing. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 23. Yet a time is coming, and now come, when the true proskuneers will proskuneo the Father. And how will they do that? With songs? With singing? With services? How will the true worshipers worship? From something deep in here. In spirit and in truth, they'll worship the Father. And then Jesus says this, these are the kind of proskuneers that the Father, see, see, the kind of worship that Jesus and God the Father is seeking does involve singing and songs and services, but it does go way beyond that, that the heart of God in worship is for your heart, 
the heart of God in worship. It's for my heart. It's a reverencing and a bowing before him. It's spirit and in truth, and it speaks more to the attitude of the heart of mine. And if worship is surrender, if worship is the acknowledgement that God is great and ultimately that God is greater than us, right? If worship is that acknowledgement and that he knows more than us and that he is worthy to be trusted. In. And when we lift our hands, isn't that really what we're saying? Like in a moment in this place when we're worshiping, God, you're great. You're greater than me. I need you right now in my life. I'm seeking you. I need your help, your strength, your wisdom, your direction. If this is what worship is, this heart that is pouring out in spirit and truth of surrender, and God is seeking it, then it's not something we can put in a compartment. Like if this is the heart of worship, it's not something we can put in a compartment, a time frame, a lyric. Our worship has to be much more holistic. Has to be much more holistic. It has to, if you will, touch all the other parts of our life. It has to bleed into all the other parts of who we are. If we just put it in these small spaces, we're missing what the power of what it can do in our life. Listen, true worship has to be more like this plate. Oh, wait. Wrong plate. For some of you, this is the right plate, right? But that, sorry, bad joke. True worship has to look more like this. This is our life. And you know what true worship does? It embraces Jesus without separation, without compartments. And it invites him to touch every area of our lives, every part of who we are. That worship that God is seeking must go beyond songs and services, but it must enter into our emotions and our finances, our relationship, our work, our choices, our sexuality, our plans, our dreams, our hurts, our addictions. Listen, if we're to truly worship God in the way that the Bible speaks, that it has to be all-encompassing of who we are. As Christians, we need to view everything through the lens of worship. What does that mean? That we need to view everything through the lens of, God, I acknowledge that you are great, that you are greater than me, that you know more than me, and I'm going to offer myself and who I am to you. Not here, but here into every aspect of who I am. God, I want to live a life of worship, which means I want to have a heart of surrender. And I think this is exactly what Paul was trying to get across to the Romans when he wrote the book of Romans. Paul spoke to them and, and created 
just an incredible book to give us insight into what this looks like. And it starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we're just going to spend the last little bit of time we have together in these two verses. Romans chapter 12. I think this heart of worship is what Paul had in mind when he wrote this. Listen to how verse 12 begins. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... One of the things I learned in Bible college 20, I don't know how many years ago, is whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask the question, what's it there for? Some of you also went to Bible college apparently, right? But when you see the word therefore, what is it there for? Because that word therefore, it's a connector. It connects things in the scripture to one another. And what's happening here in Romans 12 is these two verses that we're going to look at this morning, they're connecting the first 11 chapters of Romans uh, to the last five chapters of Romans. And you can say it this way, these two verses are the hinge on which this book swings, okay? This book swings on these hinges, and so it's very important to understand what's happening. Well, very quickly, listen, Romans was written as a legal argument. Like, there's historical books, there's poetry books. The book of Romans was lit, written as a legal argument. It was Paul's back and forth in the defense of Christianity. And what he was doing in the first 11 verses is he was laying out doctrine. He was laying out truth and belief, okay? And he did this in four sections, okay? The first three chapters, you know what they're about? They're about the utter wickedness of mankind. And that's why we see verses like, no one seeks God and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like Paul in Romans 1 through 3 is just laying out uh, this utterly powerful case of the utter wickedness of mankind. And then as he shifts to Romans chapter 4 through 6, you know what he unpacks? In light of the utter wickedness of man, he unpacks the amazing grace of God through salvation. And that's where we see the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's arguing, he's debating, he's proving. And then he goes to Romans chapter 6 through 8, and he talks about a big word we don't use much outside of the church called sanctification which is just basically the ongoing struggle that a Christian faces walking away from the utter wickedness of sin and embracing the salvation that Jesus offers. And that's where Paul has his Jekyll and Hyde moment, right? Where he's like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. Anyone relate? Do do, right? Anybody relate? <laughs> anybody relate to Paul? Like, like, what is that in us? Like, what is that? Why do I one day have this overwhelming heart for God and do everything right, and this other day, I'm like a two-year-old that's gone crazy, right? And he talks about this struggle. And then in chapters 9 through 11, he talks about the absolute rule of God in all things are his sovereignty. And if you want to read an awesome passage of Scripture, read the last five or six verses of Romans 11. They are incredible. Just absolutely incredible. But Paul, in these 11 chapters... He lays out this doctrinal case about sin and salvation and sanctification and the sovereignty of God. And then he says this, therefore, 
everything I just said doctrinally, I'm about to connect it practically. That's what he's saying. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and then he says this, in view of God's mercy. You know what he's saying? Essentially, everything that he had said in the first 11 chapters can be boiled down to one thing, and what is that? In view of God's mercy. You see, at the end of all the arguments, that's where it goes. I urge you, brothers and sisters, friends, uh, fellow Christians, I urge you in light of God's mercy. In light of everything Jesus has done for you. And he continues in verse 1. In light of everything Jesus has done, I urge you, I plead with you, I beg you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. And this is what Romans swings on. The doctrine becomes practical and he says, in light of everything I've just told you about sin and salvation and sanctification, I beg you. I mean, I love the King James here because it says, I beseech you. I beg you. Offer your body. Offer yourself to God a living Sacrifice. You know what Paul's saying? Just as Jesus offered his life for us and based on God's mercy and, and just as he surrendered for us and just as he gave his body for us, in light of that, what should we do? We should offer our bodies back to him. That we should surrender and surrender our lives and our bodies and we should seek to please God by pursuing things that are holy and right. And then this is how he ends verse 1. For this is your, wow, this is your true and proper worship. So what does Paul say my worship is? He says it's offering my body to God just like Jesus offered his body to God. It's offering myself with that kind of sacrifice, with that kind of reckless abandon. Stripping off all of the extras and just saying, God, here is my life. Jesus sacrificed his life to worship the Father and Paul in Romans 12 urges us to do the same, not to earn something from God, right? What's the motivation? The mercy of God is the motivation. I don't give my life wholly to him and surrender to him to earn something from him. I do it as an expression, an expression of gratitude for his mercy and his grace in my life. You see, my worship isn't just offering my voice to God or my words to God or my song to God. It's not just offering my heart to God. It's offering my body and my life in full surrender. Listen, true worship is holistic. 
I surrender everything I am to God, every aspect of my life. Biblical worship is living as if my whole life is God. Is God's life. My life is his. And I think, I think this is a whole lot harder than compartmentalized worship, wouldn't you agree? Like living here where my whole life is his is a whole lot harder than just squeezing him into some spaces. It's much more challenging than just setting aside a time or a place where then I'm going to get, listen, this is monumentally harder. But this is the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Listen, we have, pun intended, we have so much on our plates. We have so much on our plates. It's easy to squeeze God out. It's easy to compartmentalize him. And I think we're subtly tempted to live here. But Paul gives us two reasons really quickly why we shouldn't let our worship be compartmentalized. The first one, the first reason that we struggle with living here, this is really theologically deep. Are you ready? The first reason we struggle to be here is because we're stubborn. No amens there? (laughs) I'm stubborn. I know I'm stubborn. I can say amen. Like, like, Like we're stubborn. Like, it's hard to live here because I like to live how I like to live. Is that just not the truth? Like, we like to live how we live. And and how does Paul define us in in verse 1? We are what kind of sacrifice? We're a living sacrifice, right? What's the difference between a living and a dead sacrifice? Listen, most sacrifices were dead, right? Listen, dead things don't do anything. Like, dead things don't talk back. They can't fight back. They can't push back. Dead things are just dead. Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You know, living things have a mind of their own. Living things like to change their mind from day to day. Living minds, living sacrifices can be very emotional in their decision-making. Living things can be willful and stubborn. Listen, this kind of worship, it's difficult. I mean, it's really difficult. Like, think about it. If I was a UFC fighter, now I know this is a really awkward transition, but if, but if I was a UFC fighter, and I'll tell you right now the number one reason why I'm not a UFC fighter, I don't like pain. Like, so I just avoid pain as much as I can. But, but if I was a UFC fighter, I think I would rather get punched out cold than lay on the ground and have to do this. What? Right? Like, if you were a UFC fighter, wouldn't you rather get knocked out than tap out? Like, I would. Because we don't like to give an inch. And more than that, we don't like to give up, and that's what surrender is, isn't it? Surrender is giving up. It's giving in. 
And true, genuine surrender is worship, and surrender is struggle. And as we think about these two plates, a life of worship is taking God out of the compartments and inviting him into the circle. It's about taking him out of the compartments and inviting him into the circle. And verse 2 gives us a reason why worship is also difficult beyond our stubbornness. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing. Listen, sometimes I fight against God because I'm stubborn. But you know, the world fights against my worship and the world fights against yours too. We live in a culture that is anti-worship, anti-biblical worship. We live in a culture that says, you are number one. You stand up for yourself. And everything that our culture stands for is basically snubbing it in the face, not only of humanity, but snubbing it in the face of God. That we are the ones in control. And the world, listen, it tries to fight against our worship and it tries to squeeze us into its mold. And it says, listen, your will is more important. The way you want to do things is more important than what God wants to do. You know what culture says? Don't worship God with your money. Greed over generosity. Don't worship God with your money. It says don't worship God with your choices. Freedom over faithfulness. You deserve to be free. It says don't worship God with your emotions. Victim over victory, right? Like this is what the world tells us. Don't worship God with your sexuality. Pleasure over purity. Don't worship God in your relationship. Service over space. Listen, the world beyond just our own stubbornness that makes this type of worship hard, the world tries to squeeze the worship of God right out of us. And it will relentlessly bombard our worship. But as fellow believers this morning, as followers of God, we can't allow our worship to be tainted by the world. We can't allow our worship to be denigrated by the world. We can't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. Listen, my worship, your worship, our worship must be transformed by the word of God. It's not the world that dictates who we are. It's the word of God that dictates. And again, we can't underestimate how difficult this is, but how important it is. It's a struggle, but we need to do it, and here's why we need to do it. This is how he started verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why should I stop being stubborn, and why should I be stop being squeezed into the world's mold? Listen to how he finishes verse 2. Then, it's a connector word again, isn't it? Then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. You know why? You know why living your life like this is so important? Because a life of worship reveals the will of God. A life of worship. Like me daily, inviting Jesus into all the spaces of who I am. 
my money, my job, my relationships, my heart, my struggles, my fears, my plans. My, you know what happens when I invite him into all the spaces of my heart and my life with an attitude of surrender? I begin to see the will of God. That's why this is so important. Paul says, listen, if you surrender your life, if you don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, you're going to live more in step with who God is. You're going to live more in step with who he is. What could be, listen, what could be better than that? What could be better than living more consistently in the presence of God and in step with his plans for my life? Right? This compartment right here, when all it is is song and when all it is in service, our, listen, our relationship with God becomes dependent on events and experiences. Like if this is your worship, if this is my worship, then my relationship with God, how I feel about God, how I feel about myself, my closeness to him, how far away he is, my sense of peace, my sense of anxiety. When I live here, then that, all of that is dependent on experiences. That's why when we come to church, uh, the presence of God feels so good, right? Because we're experiencing what draws us close to him. Do you not realize that that's not God's heart for you or me? God's heart for me is not just to experience his presence and his will for an hour on Sunday morning or for a car ride when I have the right music on. That God's will for me. And God's will for you is that as you're living life and you're inviting Jesus into every area of who you are and you're willing to surrender to his word over what your will and the word the world says, you begin to walk a little differently. Listen, a life of worship reveals the will God. And when we begin to surrender in all of those areas that are such a struggle, we get more in step with him. Every single day, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might know that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, a choppy relationship is not God's for you and can I just be honest and vulnerable for a minute sometimes I live here and when I do I don't have near the peace near the joy near the direction I don't have any of those things and you know what I do I run to one of these compartments not God's will for me. And that's not God's will for you. It's his will to invite him into all the spaces and let everything touch who you are, what you think, what you do. So I have one simple question this morning. 
when you walked in this morning, which plate more accurately reflects your worship? Which plate more accurately reflects how you view worship? Awesome news is, if it was here, you're on the right track. If it was here, you can change that. God's heart for you is that you would. God, this morning, we just pray for every believer here right now. God, that you would draw us more into a life of worship, not a compartmentalized life. God, I just don't want you in my life when it suits me or when it's convenient or when it works. God, I want to invite you into every area of who I am. And God, I pray for every Christian, every believer here this morning, that they would pray that same prayer. God, I want to invite you into my whole life of worship. I want to live surrendered to you, Lord Jesus. I want to know your perfect will. I want to walk in step because I know that life of worship reveals the will of God. God, that's our prayer as followers of you. Well, maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to God. You've never embraced his mercy and asked for forgiveness. You've never fully worshiped. Can I just tell you that the heart of God has been waiting for this moment for your life. Like the heart of God has been yearning for this moment for you. His heart is so full for you this morning. And maybe you're sitting there and you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not worthy. You know what? You're not. But you know what? Neither is the person sitting beside you and neither is the person sitting in front of you and neither is the person sitting behind you and neither is the person speaking these words right now. Listen, worship, surrendering to God is not about our worth. It's about the worth of God. And it's how the great creator of all things uh, looked down and said, you know what? They're worth so much. I'm going to send my son for them. I'm going to let him give everything of who he is. I'm going to let him die so they can live. That's God's heart for you this morning. And maybe you're here and you've never made that step because you didn't feel like you could. You can. You can this morning, but it starts with surrender. All true worship starts with surrender. So this morning, in view of God's mercy, in light of God's grace that overlooks in our confession of sin all we are and all that we have ever done, I urge you to accept his love and forgiveness this morning. So what I'm just going to ask on the count of three to raise your hand and receive Jesus. If you've never done this, he's longing for your heart this morning. Then we're going to pray together. If that's you and you say, I want to worship Jesus for the first time, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, and three this morning. Say, Pastor Lance, amen. I see that. That's my heart this morning. All over this place, amen. I see your hand this morning. 
anyone else, you say, I want to worship Jesus for the first time, truly worship him this morning. Father, I thank you for these couple of people this morning that have raised their hands. God, I thank you that you accept us just as we are so you can make us what you want us to be a life full of your power and your presence. And right now, God, I pray for those few who raise their hand. I pray that your love, your forgiveness would just come flooding into their hearts right now. Lord, as they say, God, I'm not worthy, but my life is a mess. God, I'm not worthy, but I feel the weight of my sin. God, I'm not worthy, but I want my life to be different. I confess my sin. I confess my need of you. I worship you and the fact that you are greater than me. God, as they do that right now, may your love, may your forgiveness, may your mercy come in and change their life for the glory of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.